Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're certainly glad to be with you again today. We're going to be talking today about 3D printing and whether or not it's the holy grail of manufacturing. It certainly will change the face of manufacturing. And we have two experts on, and before we get to our guests, I'd like to introduce uh, my co-host, Lou Wise, who's president of All Metals and Forge Group and the sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, it's warmed up here in uh, New Jersey, and we're doing fine. We're doing fine. And yourself? Uh, actually, I'm uh, doing well. Uh, the weather is always uh, nice in Atlanta, although we've had this Arctic blast come down our way. So uh, we're waiting for uh, that to clear out finally and not come back. <laughs> Looking forward to spring. So okay. uh, we're, we're enjoying the weather. Now, Lou, you've got a couple of hot topics cooking. What's happening on your end? Uh, well, one, I uh, wanted to talk uh, for a moment, uh, a postscript of our last Tuesday's show. Uh, we had uh, been talking about the uh, crisis in the L.A. port and the West Coast port issue, um, and we had a special guest, uh, Congressman Rod Blum of uh, this great state of Iowa, who's in Congress now a total of 40 days and he sounds like a real patriot, uh, not many of them in Washington. Um, and uh, he is a strong supporter of business and very much against what's going on out, out on the West Coast. It's a terrific show. Uh, I highly recommend anybody to listen to it. It was on the February 17th show, um, and it, it's uh, it's something worthwhile listening to, being that Mainstream media has not picked up on uh, this nine-month event, uh, which is horrible in itself. Um, the news aspect of uh, today is that the port issue still lingers on. Uh, we don't know where it's going to wind up uh, going. We have uh, Tom Perez, Labor Secretary, uh, Secretary of Labor. Uh, in uh, California, negotiating in San Francisco. Uh, hopefully, we can see some resolution. Problem being, however, once this is all said and done, it's going to take six months to clear out almost 500,000 containers that are in the West Coast ports. So that is a continuing, ongoing saga, and uh, we will be reporting it as uh, progress uh, moves forward. Uh, Tim? Uh, thanks, Lou. I would like to introduce our guest today. We're really doing this show as uh, a primer on 3D printing, so we'll get a little bit of the history, and then we'll get some overview on how 3D printing is being used, in this case, uh, in the universities. So let me first uh, introduce uh, Dr. Liz Lennon, who received her uh, Bachelor of Science degree in Biomedical Engineering from Boston University in 2004, and completed her Ph.D. in Interdisciplinary Engineering from Stevens Institute of Technology in May 2011. Um, Liz, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here today. Um, 
that pretty much sums up my background. I have a lot of uh, interdisciplinary engineering experience, and I think there's a lot of prospects for 3D printing, um, especially in research and development for applications like rapid prototyping. So I think that's an area where it's starting to take off. Um, with that, I'll, I'll let you introduce our next guest. And we are going to introduce uh, uh, Peter Lidner, who's a Ph.D., received his doctorate uh, in chemical engineering in February 2012 from Stevens Institute of Technology. Uh, his doctoral work was on microplasma reforming of hydrocarbons. I'll let him explain that. I don't have a clue. But his current research is focused on microreactor technology, specifically on designing, modeling, and fabricating micromixers using 3D printing. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Uh, how are you doing today? Good, good. Both of you are uh, um, well ahead of me in terms of the uh, kind of detail that you work in, uh, very heady stuff. But, Peter, can you give our listeners a kind of a, a short history on 3D printing? Sure. Um well, so 3D printing has been around for about uh, three decades by now. Um, the earliest patent or technology that uh, is specifically to 3D printing, not just additive manufacturing, uh, can be dated back to 1984, and that was from 3D Systems. Uh, 3D Systems is still the largest uh, 3D printer technology company uh, in the world, um, second to uh, Stryasis. Um the way additive manufacturing works is really there are, are three major types of printers. Uh, there's fused depositition, um, I'm sorry, fused depositition modeling, or FDM, which is the most common. Um, that's where you have something that's like a plastic, that's like a string. You send it through your printer, it will melt it, and you're able to deposit it onto a specific plate where it cools at a, a fast rate. Um, the most common material of that, again, is plastic, uh, although there are some very unique materials that they have, and I know you mentioned uh, some metals. Uh, the second most common type of 3D printer is uh, stereolithography, uh, which is either the acronym STL or SLA is used. Uh, and this is actually, I, I'm very fond of this. It's very, very unique uh, where you'll take a liquid resin uh, something that is a photopolymer. So when it's exposed to different wavelengths of light, this liquid resin will become hardened and form a solid. And very similar to FDM, the way the printers will work is you can scan through and draw out in light, uh, quite li literally lithography means to write with light. Um, pho sorry, photolithography means to write with light and you will write out the layers, those layers will become hardened, and then you can move your material uh, up to allow for another uh, layer of liquid resin. Uh, now the third type of 3D printing that is kind of the least common is powdered deposition printing. And the way this works is you have some powder, some very, very fine material. And again, similar to the FDM where you're printing out your plastic, or in, in the case you mentioned, uh, metals. Uh, instead, you'll print out some sort of binding agent, like a, uh, a glue or an epoxy. And instead of actually printing up the material, you'll glue all of these fine powders together. Uh, and that's how you can create your devices. Um, now, with 
3D printing being around since the 80s, the reason it's become so popular is with some of these uh, smaller startup companies that have been able to move the technology from the, these very, very expensive machines um, that you might only see in, very, in large Fortune 500 companies um, to something that you could build in your house and run in your kitchen. Um, the most famous company for that is MakerBot. Um, uh, MakerBot, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they are based out in Brooklyn, New York, and they have they started as developing a 3D printer to print parts to make a 3D printer. Um, kind of a uh, unique goal. Um, at that time, they started out as a very open sourced uh, product where different people in industry and different people who are just want to work with gadgets and like to make things and work in their, their own uh, uh, home workshops could develop their own printer and then design parts that they could use around their own house. Um, since then, uh, I believe in the last year, they've been bought out by Striasis, which is, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but it's the second largest 3D printing company, um, and it's actually kind of changed uh, the, the market a bit with the, the very, very large companies buying the very, very small ones. Um, one of MakerBot's, uh, MakerBot, again, is a fused dep deposition modeling printer. Um, their competitors include, but probably their most, the most marketed uh, competitor right now is, is Formlabs, which is up in Boston. And their technology is different. Uh, their technology, again, is based more mostly on uh, STL or stereolithography tech. Um, and so in the past, I'd say in the past year, there's been a lot, a lot of very, very little com companies, a lot of startups that each have their own unique um, technique and their unique uh, market marketing to the 3D printing world. Peter, let me uh, interrupt at this moment. Uh, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm a manufacturer and uh, I'm in uh, uh, Naugatuck, uh, Iowa, somewhere. And I'm mm -hmm. listening. I'm listening to you describe uh, the underlying uh, basis of uh, 3D printing. Uh, let's go to something more basic that uh, our uh, that our listener in Iowa will understand what the benefit is to him to know about 3D printing, understand the benefit. Uh, what can he do? He's a machine shop and he does prototyping work for um, you know a major OEM let's say Caterpillar in Iowa um, how is he going to use this and can he use it and is it cheap enough for him to be able to do prototypes can he do production runs so let me throw that back into your lap so okay um I am a firm believer in 3D printing. I do believe that the idea of using a 3D printing for manufacturing is not, we're not there yet. Uh, 3D printing is developed to prototype. So um, your manufacturer in Iowa, if he's prototyping a new method, uh, I can give an example of a story I heard relating to um, uh, pasta sauce. Uh, I used to work in, 
at Pepsi and uh, as an engineer in their R&D. And so using uh, pasta sauce, they were running this pasta sauce through the system, and at some point it needed a nozzle. And to design the nozzle, there were issues relating to uh, the consistency of the pasta sauce, being able to send it through, uh, ensuring that there's no rough surfaces on the inside. So you need to really be able to define that angle. Um, if it's too, too large an angle to send out, you'll have something stuck. And if it's too wide an angle, uh, you're flowing at too fast a rate. So you need it to be very, very specific. And there's some other, other details that they were trying to produce. Well, um, R&D got together and they tried to use computer modeling and they, they did a bunch of models and continued to run, uh, develop, manufacture these nozzles, uh, run the system, and then uh, realize there's an issue and have to iterate, iteratively process through. Now, um, the way they wound up solving this is they had to use a 3D printer to go through and print various versions of the nozzle and literally attach it in something like a pilot plant where you can see firsthand whether or not something's working or not. I don't know if that answers your question relating to manufacturing. Let me go to you for a moment. Uh, um, you're an assistant professor of the School of Engineering at Manhattan College in New York City. Yes. You work on various research projects related to sustainability and advanced engineering design topics, and your doctoral program stressed the innovation of products that, that satisfy unmet market needs you know, throughout new product development. How do you see manufacturers using 3D printing uh, in the near future? Um, yeah, going forward, just to kind of piggyback off of what uh, um, Peter was talking about is, I think 3D printing is very uh, beneficial to people who want to do rapid prototyping, who need to try and come up with a few designs of something that they want to test before they go to mass production. So, you know, if you have... Um, 3D printing gives you the ability to print uh, an infinite amount of designs. There's other kinds of websites where there's just vast amounts of basically, uh, it's like a 3D printing community where you can actually combine different ideas. And these files, you know, there's also a uh, computer programming side to 3D printing that allows you to interface with a bunch of things. Say you had, um, for example, during Hurricane Sandy, they had a lot of difficulty trying to find specific pieces for some of the, uh, the uh, I guess, those power distribution um, areas that had been impacted and had been flooded with, uh, with salty water, right? So some of those things had been ruined, and they needed to actually come up with a way to machine. Uh, they actually had to go to machinists to machine very old parts. So one of the ways that you could use 3D printing very effectively is to actually have that part, then couple your 3D printer with some kind of uh, laser scanning technology, which can rapidly uh, create the 3D structure and file you would need to replicate either old pieces that you no longer have um, necessarily uh, designs of at, at hand, or you can use it to um, draw upon other sets of 3D files that you have from the 3D printing community and then combine different designs in order to produce lots and lots of different variations on, on small component items that you want to test or use to replace in other systems. 
So I think there's like an interesting feature there where you can use it in, in future applications to, uh, to kind of cut costs in uh, dis determining um, subcomponents of systems by doing rapid prototyping. And you can also get longer life potentially out of older systems by being able to find an old part that might not be available anymore. And now you can actually use a laser kind of scanning system to create the 3D file that would be uh, input into a 3D printing system to produce uh, a, a way to, to replace components that might not be readily available any longer. So that's, I think that's one interesting thing, but I think the benefit to a manufacturing community is definitely, as Peter was saying, in at this stage in looking at rapid prototyping applications. Um, uh, as far as mass production goes, like you're still going to have to rely on the traditional manufacturing. Well, Liz, you brought you brought up an interesting point, and 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 please forgive our naive uh, understanding of uh, the, the 3D printing and the materials that they're using. In, in manufacturing, uh, especially in metals, uh, different alloys uh, allow you to do certain things in regards to uh, chemical resistance, heat resistance, wear resistance, uh, oxidation, and so on and so forth. And a lot of the things that we supply as a manufacturer, uh, heat resistance is a uh, very uh, the primary uh, uh, aspect of the parts that we produce. The, the elements that is being used presently uh, in 3D printing is uh, plastic. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a very broad word, and I, I don't know, I'm not familiar with plastic. I don't know what the heat resistance value of that is or the wear resistance. So if you're going to make a part that goes into a old system, uh, like you mentioned about the, uh, the hurricane, um, are those parts resistant to wear or uh, temperature, cold temperature, high temperature? Um, or you mentioned earlier that they are now beginning to bring metals in. Can you describe a little bit about the properties of plastics versus metals and what metals can be used in, in regards to 3D printing at this point? Um, sure. I'm actually going to I'm going to let Peter go ahead and uh, answer that one first, and then I'll share any additional thoughts because he has some uh, comments on that one. Terrific. So, sorry. Um, so first, first of all, there has been 3D printing with metal again for a long time. It's just not very cost effective. Um, and you're right, 3D printing is focused on plastics uh, because of the two reasons: one, being able to melt and then deposit them, and then two, being able to use something like, you know, a, a photo resin um, to harden. Um, just to give you some information on the plastics uh, for the FDM, the more most common type of 3D printing, uh, there are really two types of filaments that are used. Uh, one is ABS, uh, which is a pretty common plastic, kind of uh, something you might find in a household computer monitor or like, um, I don't know, a video game controller. I mean, I'm, I'm drinking out of a coffee mug right now that has some ABS on the top of it. Um, ABS will bend. Uh, it does have a slightly higher temperature profile than some of the other filaments. Um, but it, it can create something that's a little bit brittle. Um, 
the the second most common is PLA. Uh, it's made from corn. It can biodegrade. Uh, it's you know it's an organic material. It's again it's not as strong as ABS. Uh, it it will heat at a uh, lower temperature, which in some areas is more useful for prototyping, but definitely not for manufacturing, especially if there's a, a you're producing something that needs to take heat. Um, so the the expensive way of being able to produce metals uh, has been brought down recently using some stereolithography of creating molds. And so, for example, 3D printing for the last 30 years has really had its place, I would say, in three major industries. Uh, the first being um, making models for things like architects or uh, civil engineers to see bridges. Uh, the second would be dentists, dentists who need to create molds of people's teeth um, to, to see all the parts, uh, although there are some other medical applications. And, and the third one is jewelry. Um, you know, if you've, if you've ever had a, a ring made, I had one for my fiance uh, last, for her, our engagement last year, and um, they had to, they had to uh, draw it up using 3D printing technology, print it, show me the ring, and then they created a mold from that print and were able to fill it with uh, silver or gold or any other metal that you can melt at a high temperature. Now, um, being able to cast these materials, real in, and this is the last four months, four or five months, being able to cast has uh, allowed that we could really make any, any material, uh, we could 3D print it because now we can 3D print the mold. Now this is this is a little bit similar to uh, what I really think is the uh, the future of manufacturing, um, which which is uh, liquid injection molding, um, because that's how you're able to manufacture things kind of on a very very high basis, where you can use something like 3D printing to maybe create the mold once you need something like liquid injection molding to mass produce. What kind of metals uh, are they uh, using now at this point? Are you familiar um, with that? Well, so there, there is a huge science on just what materials can be printed. Um, when you ask what kind of metals they're using now, uh, the idea of castable, being able to make jewelry, really you can just, with using castable, you can use any material, any metal that you're able to make a cast out of, uh, which in my experience, I'm trying to think of one you can. Uh, aluminum, aluminum you can, steel you can, uh, gold, silver. Um, I'm trying to think of things that have uh, quite high boiling temperature metals. Um, but uh, it, it would be hard to, to think of one. Um, well, ac well, actually, aluminum, for example, has, uh, I think, a melting point of 700 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, alloy steel or carbon steel is uh, somewhere around uh, 12, 14, 1500 degrees. But you start getting into the, some of the more sophisticated alloys like stainless steel and nickel alloys and titanium, uh, you're getting up into the 2,000-plus range. So um, I, I would think that you you would be primarily talking about the the lower melting temperature of uh, raw materials. Would that not be true? Well, there's also 3D printing technology that can use laser cutting. And if you can use laser cutting, again, it, it's not necessarily based on the uh, melting temperature. 
I mean, for example, I'm looking at um, uh, the CNC machine. Um, you know, they have a lot of 3D printers that are, uh, they call them all-in-ones. Basically, they have something that's uh, the basic plastic 3D printer. They have a lathe in it for something like wood, and then they'll have a, a CNC for something like aluminum. Um, <clears throat> so using a device like this, you can wind up um, creating something that has metal parts, wood parts, and plastic. Um, again, those are very, very new, and there's there's still some... You can imagine there's a lot of uh, issues with getting these things to, to work, um, but they have a, a lot of applications. Um, one, of there the, any... one of the other... Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, after you. I was going to ask if we're... Uh, restricted at all by size of a part, or are these primarily um, small parts? Well, so pretty recently, I think in the last month, uh, a company in China has been 3D printing houses. They're 3D printing with concrete, um, <laughs> and they found it to be cost-effective. Um, I was watching, uh, this is actually an artist developed this, this device, uh, I'm, I haven't seen anything since I've watched his, uh, his YouTube video. He created this device to bring out to the desert um, to 3D print using the sun and sand, where literally you, you have the device has a computer in it. You can put in his files. Uh, if he draws something like a vase or a bowl, it will cut up the bowl into um, individual line uh, parts, and there's plenty of sand out in the desert, and there's a huge warm sun, so he uses a optics to focus the sunlight and draw out different designs. And so now you have a free material. Uh, it does definitely has resolution issues, but still you're able to make glass or clay uh, type, type pots out of free material and with free energy from the sun. That's a cost effective. I'm going to pose this to either Liz or Peter, whoever wants to answer it. Uh, in terms of the materials that you can use, do landfills become the new gold mine source for glass and plastic that we should be now digging up after we buried it to recycle it for use in 3D printers? Well, well I, I, can, I, can I can tell you, you from my experience at Pepsi that um, once you recycle glass, it is, it is nearly infinitely recyclable. Um, so I can't speak too much to landfills, but yes, if we can use uh, any sort of waste, I, I personally believe we should try, find a way to use it. Um, now, again, I, the, one of the two plastics that I mentioned for the FEM, the PLA, that is organic material. It will biodegrade. It's made from corn. Um, it's pretty useful for something like if you could prototype uh, the photoresist, they're very, very specific resins, um, specific materials, um, and generally they're, they're not going to be I – would, I would be surprised to find uh, large quantities of different photo materials within landfills. They're, they're materials that are commonly used for semiconductor fabrication and in very, very small quantities uh, for making computer chips. Um, and so they're, they're pretty – uh, heavily monitored where their waste goes from you know, from birth to, to death. Okay. Uh, Liz, uh, 
before we go to a commercial break here, I just want to have you think about this when we come out. Um, if I am a, a student in uh, 3D Printing 101, and I'm sitting down for the first uh, a lecture that you're about to give on uh, some of the different things that you should think about in this course for 3D printing. When we come back from break, I'd like you to give us kind of a short instruction uh, at a real basic level to anyone who may be listening about this is what 3D printing is all about. Here's some of the cool stuff that we've discovered over the last year. Here's some of the things that you should be thinking about as you develop your knowledge base in 3D printing. And and uh, I'd like to hear both your comments and Peter's comments on some of the kind of the cool stuff that's happening in 3D printing. We're reading a lot about uh, some fascinating pieces, parts, equipment that's being developed in 3D printing. So let's go to a commercial break. And when we come back from that, uh, Liz, I'm going to go to you first, and we'll talk about uh, – uh, that that new student in 3D 101 and uh, what they should be thinking about. So let's take a quick commercial break. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, Liz, before the break, I uh, mentioned to you that we would like to talk, uh, have you talk to us as kind of uh, first day students in 3D printing and some of the cool things that are happening in 3D printing. So why don't you share with our listeners uh, some of your experiences and some of the neat stuff that's happening with 3D printing. Sure. Um, you know, if I if I had my first day of class, the, one of the things I typically do is, yeah, try to get the students engaged and understand what are the cool applications that are going on. And um, earlier in the talk show, Peter had mentioned this effort to 3D print structures in China, basically uh, some kind of residential structures. But actually the ultimate application for 3D printing of concrete systems is to build structures um, either on the moon or in Mars, right? So if you think about the difficulty of trying to get some kind of, um, you know, humans to build something 
uh, on a surface, not on Earth, we can see the, uh, the prospect of 3D printing coming into play. If you can actually have a, a system that can um, create this, you know, tower or residential structure out of materials that might be present on, uh, you know, some of the, the kind of surface of the moon, then you can actually create uh, structures for, for long-term experimental purposes or, or whatever you uh, need those structures to do. Um, so you'll probably see very, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be able to create uh, structures or devices or things where before you weren't necessarily able to um, produce that item just by the nature of the fact that 3D printing allows us to either replicate existing structures very readily or to create structures that might have features that you can't necessarily get out using traditional manufacturing techniques. So, um, for example, one of the other uh, limitations that presently exist for 3D printing is uh, in the um, when, when you're layering these different plastics and building them up layer by layer in order to create this 3D structure, you have kind of a, a, not a perfectly smooth surface. But as the technology advances, you'll be able to see those um, surfaces get smoother and smoother for some sort of, uh, so you'll be able to produce smaller and smaller devices with smaller feature sizes. And this comes into play, um, as Peter was talking about, when you have to apply things to create micro devices, whether they're for um, very niche applications of reactor systems or perhaps new types of uh, electrical systems and or new types of, um, you know, just, just basically like art and uh, kind of physical form structures that you necessarily wouldn't be able to readily produce using traditional modes of manufacturing. So I think getting down to the two, so you have this ability with 3D printing to address multiple scales, right? You could be able to uh, build something as large as a house using some kind of 3D concrete printing system or something as tiny as a, uh, a micro mixer that will more safely mix two, um, two kinds of chemicals. And those safety implications have a lot of um, impact in industrial uses, at least for, you know, uh, chemical sector. So with that, I think those are, those are the cool applications that are going on. We see interesting little devices being built, and we see really large-scale uh, applications of 3D printing. And when we are looking out into the future, we can see that the principles of 3D printing have a lot of uh, very fascinating futuristic applications, for example, building on the surface of the moon. Um, one of the other just simple questions you had, had posed is if you are also a, you know, just very new to the topic of 3D printing, a little bit of, of how it works in a simple way is just basically um, the, the most common 3D printer system I think people are familiar with is the MakerBot system. And if you were to imagine just as Peter had described, a material coming out and building up a three-dimensional structure layer by layer, uh, that's really the, uh, the most fundamental premise 
of how a 3D printing system works. So in that, that layer by layer um, construction is going to be basically input using a computer file. So the other thing about 3D printing that we can uh, readily you know, keep in mind is that it's going to have um, a very sophisticated software engineering component as well. Or not necessarily, I shouldn't use the word sophisticated, but there will be software engineering involved in order to develop uh, your different types of 3D printed products. Um, so. So, so just that idea of producing something one layer at a time in order, in order to create a 3D structure, it's kind of, in a, in a way, like building with Legos. Well, I have a, uh, a real live situation that I would like to throw out to the either one or both of you to tell us how we could go about doing this. I have a customer who came to me with a part. He doesn't have a drawing, and he says, I have this part, and I need to make 100 pieces of them. And um, I'm looking at two or three different ways that this could be produced from in a metalworking environment. Uh, one, we can make a drawing and we can uh, create a uh, make a casting, or we can uh, do metal forming and take sheet stock and uh, uh, create it through a metal forming process. But you had mentioned earlier that uh, you can make the part and then you can go ahead and make a mold from the 3D uh, printed form and then have it either cast or whatever method uh, that would be desired to uh, produce that part. Uh, so this is a real live, uh, real live project that I'm working on. Um, and this bowl, for example, is uh, right now it's made out of silver. Uh, he doesn't want it made out of silver. Is there a way that we can do this through the uh, 3D printing uh, methodology? So um, I'm sorry if I was a little bit confusing earlier. Uh, when I said you can make castable parts, quite quite literally, rather than printing the part and then casting it, you can print the mold itself that has the ability to be casted. So an, an example of how to solve this problem of making hundreds of these is you could quite literally print the mold and process as you normally would. Process, um, I, I'm not sure what material, if it's silver or uh, what material you'd like to, to bring it into, um, right. but you could then process it. Um, but I would also like to state that the idea of 3D printing, um, it's my, my opinion, uh, again, my opinion, is not to replace manufacturing, but to give researchers, uh, designers, um, the ability to develop a physical object and then be able to see if uh, a change you make to it would improve it or make it worse just by, by physically having whatever this object is. Mm -hmm. um, does that does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, I, I did want to uh, state something regarding, you know, if I, uh, the question you posed to Liz, if I was teaching a class, what kind of stuff I would talk about. Um, there's kind of kind of two specific things I'd like to talk about. One is uh, the future and very very expanding views and kind of almost science fiction of what can be done with 3D printing that has been done. Uh, and so one example is 
we actually there's technology to 3D print food. Um, Hershey has a 3D printer for chocolate, and that's kind of very it's a it's a novelty and it's something that uh, people use for parties, uh, and it's just something neat to see. Uh, again, very very science fictiony, uh, but one that's I think is a little bit more more useful is the idea of 3D printing organic material, and so more specifically cells. Um, and so there's a lot of research going on relating to if you get sick, being able to uh, extract your cells and being able to print uh, an organ or a, you know, something that is actually you. It's, kind of, it's, it's very, very out there. Um, the second thing that I would talk to my students about, and Liz, Liz touched about, on about this, is the ability to create things that are very, very small and very, very unique. Um, and so when I'm actually one of the companies that I, I didn't get to mention is uh, FSL3D. Um, they're a stereolithography, they make a stereolithography printer, and they actually started out as a laser company. And by being able to use this very, very specific laser, they could wind up creating devices that have um, as small as 25 micron feature sizes. Um, and they're working to make it smaller. Now, being able to do that, you could wind up creating things that, that haven't existed, that are unable to be manufactured without this technology. Uh, and kind of to connect to this, there's, there's a printer that um, is working with one of my favorite companies, uh, Auto, Autodesk. Autodesk is a, uh, a 3D CAD software. And um, the printer is the Voxel 8. And about a month ago, they came out with being able to print electrically conductive material. So that way, you could print an object and literally put circuits and integrated circuits and resistors and LEDs within your device, um, rather than printing an object, having to open it, and then put a circuit board inside of it. Um, and so one of the things that they've been able to do is uh, print a drone. A working drone from from this printer. Now, Peter, you talked about 25 microns. Give me an example of something that we can relate to that's microns thick. Also, uh, a micron is one thousandth of a millimeter, and the way I always describe this to my students is roughly the thickness of a human hair is about 50 microns. So uh, with these these printers, uh, you know, I, I work more on micro channels. Um, we're able to produce micro channels that are half the size of the thickness of a human hair. And is that going to be a application that they use in the computer industry, for instance, for printing circuit boards, so that the the next processor and circuit board and even the computer itself might be the size of a thumbnail? It, it's it's actually quite the opposite. Um, the Stereolithography technology is is stemming more from semi the semiconductor world. Semiconductors already use this technology. I mean, if you look at how a um, a computer chip's built, it's very very similar to uh, 3D printing, where you will deposit different materials in different layers to create a three dimensional object. It's just generally the, a computer chip the, the three dimensional object's very very small. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So um, we have we have uh, our our listeners listening to the show today, and I hear because I'm very intuitive. I hear a lot of minds working out there, and there's a manufacturer somewhere, and I always like using the state of Iowa. Uh, mainly because it's in the center of the country. So that right now there's a bunch of people sitting in Iowa uh, saying, gee, you know, how can I use this? I, I've got this widget, and uh, you know, where do I start? How, how do I go about getting uh, the right people, the right company, the right uh, uh, direction from uh, somewhere or somehow to have this part made so that I can come up with this new widget. So what would you recommend to that listener uh, as he's sitting there uh, pondering this new thought of his? Hello? Are we there? Um, yeah, we're still here. So I was just trying to think of a, you know, a clear response. The first thing I would say is, is this person, uh, the other thing I would like to just touch upon that I don't I know it's kind of been a background theme of the talk show today, is, is who are the users of 3D printing today, uh, February 18, 2015? And a lot of the, the uh, reduction in cost of a domestic kind of 3D printing system, by domestic I mean something that you can use as an individual in your home, has become extremely affordable. So depending on this person who maybe this person is a, a young a young person who has this idea for this widget that he's never he or she has never seen before going to the stores, but it has some fantastic application. Um, my recommendation would just be to go and see if if they're able to go and uh, you know obtain some 3D printing system for, for use in their kitchen or whatever and test the idea out first. Given the fact that those uh, those systems tend to be quite low cost, if this individual is thinking really big and they they see that they could they could sell this widget to all uh you know aerospace companies across the globe then i would recommend that you know that they probably reach out to one of uh these larger companies like um maker makerbot just directly and then or who's now you know owned by striasis so so you know i i would as with any you know, engineering problem you encounter, the first thing you do is you are, you want to just uh, collect information about the market a uh, area for this widget and then, and then you know, what you want to do with it. If you're just going to be kind of tinkering in your home, though, there's, there's nothing, the, the beauty of this is that there's nothing really prohibiting somebody from experimenting themselves with 3D printing, you know, in, in the comforts of their own home at this time because these systems have come down in price so significantly, and because they've been coupled with kind of open software platforms historically, though that's uh, whether or not that will continue to be the case is, is uh, not always entirely clear, but there are ways to, um, to keep the experimenting on an individual level with these 3D printing systems uh, at a very low cost. So, so I would just say, why not go ahead and, and try it out? That would, uh, you know, that would, I mean, it sounds kind of idealistic or, or simple, but you can, you can always um, give this a try. The difference is that, you know, a lot of the things that, that you might uh, consider printing, say you, you want to print a 3D, 
mug for for a gift for for one of your family members or something like that. You know, the uh, the interesting thing is you can go ahead and print that three three D mug from your three D printing system that you've purchased at a very affordable price, and now it has the beauty of you can customize it to different family members as gifts. Uh, the you know the flip side is that you know right now the costs uh, of of a mug are still you know so so low that whether or not you want to you're the kind of person that wants to just play around and and make something versus the kind of person who's like I need uh I'm incredibly busy and I just need to go and buy my mug you know the mug purchase will still be cheaper um, getting it from a traditional store so so this person who has this widget. I guess it's going to really depend on the nature of the widget and, you know, if they're, uh, if they're really excited about 3D printing and they just want to go ahead and give it a try. Well, it's fascinating that you bring that up, Liz, because, um, you know, years ago when we all got into our home offices, those who got into home offices, and, and then we realized what we didn't have was the ability to print, for instance, uh, a books. We didn't have the ability to print uh, bound documents that were, you know, 100 pages, 50 pages in color. And Staples came along and said, gee, send the file to us and we'll print it for you. Well, I just read where Staples is now saying, send the file to us and we will use our 3D printers to print it for you. So Staples, as a getting into printing and serving individuals who have an idea, uh, can now give you the ability to print those 3D prototypes you may have in your head or on your computer screen in a staple store. That's a pretty exciting application, it seems to me. You, you, you actually just beat me to it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, one of the, the companies, there's a lot of companies out there uh, that maybe don't have a, uh, a store such as Staples. Uh, for example, Shapeways is one where you can uh, draw up a file, draw up an image, and send it to them, um, and they print it for uh, a small fee. And now that's, that would be something, again, uh, Liz was mentioning a coffee mug, something around the size of a coffee mug, mug would be a, you know, a few dollars. Um, for that, that listener out in Iowa that's thinking about manufacturing on their own, um, just to give you a rough idea of the price of some of these printers, uh, the printers, I mean, MakerBot's selling in Home Depot. Uh, their printers are about two to two to three thousand um, dollars. The ones that have the SDL files that have, that have a little bit more higher resolution, those you can purchase those online for something between three and, and four thousand dollars. So really, for someone who's looking to manufacture or produce um, devices, the prices drop a lot. Um, uh, now, not only uh, I think Liz mentioned this, not only can you design your own devices and send it on, but there are a lot of online libraries. Uh, one of the most common 3D printing online libraries is uh, Thingiverse. And so you can go on, download somebody's model, um, take their model, adjust it however you see fit, and then send it out to Shapeways, have them print it, and create something that's never existed before. Well, that's certainly fun. Uh, printing things that have existed before, I think, is another application. I was just uh, reading where the Oak Ridge National Laboratory mm -hmm. used a 
3D printer to print the body panels and other parts of a Shelby Cobra. And in six weeks from nothing, they built a replica Shelby Cobra in a beautiful blue and white that sits on their laboratory floor. So there's another application for uh, 3D printing. It's going to bring some absolutely phenomenal and fabulous things to the marketplace. And, Liz, this seems to be an area where you did some of your studies on that very early stage, gee, I've got an idea, I need to take it from concept to component. Um, What kind of things uh, do you think you will be seeing in the near future that you were involved in in the early days? Um, Sorry, can you just uh, repeat that question really quickly? Sure. You were involved in uh, some rapid prototyping things uh, when you were doing some of your uh, study work. Uh, what were some of the things you were involved in that were, you know, that helped with speed to market and taking it from concept to a component? Right. So I think one of the, uh, um, I guess, platforms that Peter had mentioned is Thingiverse, and now we have one one of the uh, the other new phenomena that we see with the with the just the the prevalence of the internet is we see communities forming. And we see um, the exchange of ideas happening a lot more rapidly. So I, I'm not sure if if the audience for this manufacturing talk radio show, uh, you know, is familiar with something like Thingiverse. But but basically, Thingiverse allows uh, basically a database of all types of designs for different kinds of objects and different applications to be kept in a shared common repository. So now everybody has access to just thousands of upon thousands of designs that they can then uh, extract and download and then change in, you know, in small ways um, or combine multiple designs into a whole new design, which allows just a very overwhelming amount of uh, possibility where you can just have so many permutations of different designs. So now somebody maybe, uh, just to go back to my mug example, maybe somebody had a mug um, that, you know, had one kind of handle and they liked the, the shape of, of the body of the mug, but they liked the handle on something else. So now you can take uh, from this community resource of design files the, the handle that, the, that you like and combine it with the... Uh, CAD file for the body of the mug that you like. So now you have you have this ability to, uh, you know, almost personalize at an unprecedented um, capacity in, in in today's current world, right? So so I think that this is still very nation and people maybe don't know the power that's out there for them to just create basically anything that they can conceive of. I think we'll see this trend of trying to personalize um, everything more so uh, continue to go forward. But that being said, uh, that's far, that's still far from, uh, you know, more traditional industrial needs, right? So we have a lot of, uh, I guess you would say like, you know, mechanical systems like vehicles, and airplanes, uh, transport systems. We have, you know, just 
types of pipe you need in different buildings and stuff like that, these things are going to be driven, you know, by cost. And so the, uh, the ability to leverage um, more new kind of, I guess, production capability won't come into those areas until much later. And actually, they might not ever... Well, it seems as though, uh, Liz, that um, the technology is actually moving faster today than it was when it first started 30 years ago. Um, and I think that more, as more uh, companies and engineers and design people uh, conceptually buy into this uh, uh, technology that it may wind up moving faster and faster uh, as it did over the last 30 years. Uh, that said, um, we are planning to have uh, additional shows down the road, uh, taking us past the uh, this level of primer uh, 3D printing, and uh, we will be talking to perhaps some of the manufacturers of 3D printers and uh, people who are involved in the 3D design uh, and give our manufacturing listeners some ideas on how to uh, fast-track a product that they may want to present to their customers. So that being said, um, I, we appreciate uh, you being on our uh, show this week, um, and I want to thank uh, Peter and Liz, um, and we will be back uh, next week, and uh, Tim, why don't you uh, take it from here? Yes, we certainly want to thank uh, Dr. Peter Lidner for uh, sharing with us and Dr. Elizabeth Lennon. They're both doing some uh, terrific and exciting work in the field of uh, 3D printing and all kinds of the design and engineering work that they do. We appreciate kind of the, the grassroots uh, and uh, we're going to wrap up the show. But before we do, Lou, one uh, point from you. Yeah. Uh, for those who have not uh, been able to listen to the entire show, uh, in about uh, 90 minutes, uh, we will have uh, the show on podcast at uh, mfgtalkradio.com, which is our website, and you'll be able to hear the show in its entirety. And uh, just for uh, any of our clients uh, that if they would like to send us a uh, email with comments or questions, uh, you can send that to info at mfgtalkradio.com. Tim? Thank you, everyone, for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Be sure to visit our website, mfgtalkradio.com, to listen to previous shows or to find links to our Facebook page or our hashtag on Twitter, and we will be back again with you next week, uh, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.